Welcome back, everybody, to the second series of the RPU interview series. Rejoining us today after some time is GLO. GLO, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm really happy to be back. Um, I'm really excited to talk about all the ideas that we have planned for today. Yeah, thank you. It's been probably been about a year since I've made any content as well. So, uh, you know, life gets in the way, but here we are. People need us. The people need us. People We're need us. <laughs> the heroes the heroes they deserve not the heroes they want indeed indeed yeah so um one of the things that there's going to be we're, we're going to focus on a couple of things here which is what we, what each of us i.e because we have two separate communities that are red pill but no longer on reddit what we're doing there we'll, we'll go over that um and then more importantly i think where i really want to start is how do we talk about the evolution of the red pill over time and what eras were there that led us to where we are today, which is, I call okay, so, the most. So yeah, let's, let's have a, a history lesson. As far as I know it, maybe you guys know it a little bit better. Um, before, before the red pill, there was, there were PUA mystery. Um, there was a booming economy in the two thousands and a lot of men who came into money through tech, through biotech, didn't know how to use that money to go to clubs and get women. And so those resources were provided to a booming middle class, you know, uh, with their Escalades and uh, their mystery Trump mystery hats, right? Um, that's the 2000s. Then there is the 2008 crash, right? And with the end of that era, there's less money, there's less people going into, into clubs. And um, uh, concurrently, there's Occupy Wall Street, which is blaming banks for that crash. And so to distract from that crash, there is Me Too feminism, which is used to fracture the middle class, right? Um, so early red pill, um, I, I didn't really see that red pill. Um, red pill school did an amazing job fighting Reddit mods to create a space for us, a space that really, really helped us and um, bringing in the best uh, content creators from the Manosphere blogs. So if you look at the sidebar, it's a time capsule to the Manosphere blogosphere era of 2010. Yeah. Um, I don't remember their names, but that's that. Cool. Uh, 2013 onward, um, there's Me Too feminism. And you have to remember that uh, you have to remember that the PUA guys, they're libertarian, they're center left. Right. And so uh, some of them might even consider themselves feminists back in the 2000s and the feminists switch on them and they start attacking them um, to divide up the middle class. And that attack, I, I think an important, an important distinction of PUA is uh, it was a bunch of amateur magicians trying to play tricks on women. Like that's really what what it was. Right. But there, there were some of them, were, which was were innovative at the time. Left. It, it was no that, that innovation I'm thankful for. It was the dancing monkey era of game. Sure. Uh, and at that point, the red pill was not politicized. It became politicized when we were attacked by Soros uh, shills of Jezebel, BuzzFeed, everything else. That's when we came under the spotlight. And that's when there was a culture war. I would say key culture war era is 2013 to 2017. Um, and then at that time, you see the entrance of people who, like, I'm just there for the culture war. I'm just there for the fight. Um, my guys are just there for the fight. Um, and so we would write deliberately provocative articles because that would get our content into circulation. And that was my primary uh, content circulation strategy. So um, were, were you guys, Joe, were you there for that? Oh, yeah. When did you come in? I was the, I was number three. It was PK Atheist, okay. Soft Harem, and myself. So we okay. helped stand the whole thing up. I think there was maybe 60 people, 60 users subscribed to their subreddit at that time. So I've been there from the start. Um, I will go back one thing, though. You're right that the red pill kind of arose with this political uh, bent to it. But it was actually Paul Elam that was the first one that coined the term that took that metaphor and ran with it. And it just kind of grew from there, from the MRA scene. It's just kind of it evolved, blending with like you know the PUA scene and others, 
that's really how it all got started. This would have been 08, 09, 2010, somewhere in that time frame. And then we kind of evolved it. And then it, it struck, we gave it structure around 2011, 2012. And that became the subreddit. Yeah, the, the yeah that's, that's, when we, that's when the growth began to truly explode. I mean, we went from yeah. probably that 60 you started with to six figures in a year or something. And something like that. This is what's, it's interesting, the parallels between what happened with Andrew Tate and us. He just did it 10 years later. There's a, there's a demand for that style of masculinity. We provided it at first. Then we got quarantined. He came around as the second wave of that and got arrested and got censored. Listen, I, I don't know, you know, if, if someone's involved in pornography, I'm not anywhere near that. You know, for me, oh, that, that's whatever. not, that's neither here nor there. I'm just talking about you know, the, I, the masculinity, the pro masculinity message aspect of it. Not of the porn, but of the, uh, it's, it's not, yeah. I, I get what it, Joe's it, saying because it, it, while I violently disagree with all of Tate's philosophy, pretty much there's very clear demand for something he has to say. Yeah. They're going to be, uh, listen, the porn is what funds him. The porn is what gives him his lifestyle. And um, we're going to take, I'm going to take a hard anti-porn position. So you can make a lot of money. You know, you guys do well for yourselves. Not, not prostituting women, right? So well, I didn't want to distract from the conversation, but you just, I'm talking about the parallels of where we were, where things are at now. There is a lot of uh, history. It doesn't exactly repeat itself, but it rhymes. There was something also happening yeah. in 2013 to 2017, and particularly it began in 2012, which is the rise of the smartphone and a significant change in how men and women met each other in a romantic and sexual Completely way. different, completely different dating scene, right? Yep. right. Dating is technologically contingent. And um, that's a point that uh, Ritten and I kept pushing over and over and over again. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I think the the big innovation that started happening in, in the, the, the post golden era was how to adapt to a, a world that has changed yet again. Because there was the era of, you know, go out, keep these plates spun, make sure you're keeping your body right. But then it's like, well, how does our audience even meet these women anymore? How do you filter? Can we move past the idea of getting girls? And I think that's where things really started to change. Again. Right. I think the, the red pill was more than just the POA scene. It was mostly, we were also talking about the theory behind why, why things worked. And then yeah. just re really became this, this holistic approach to self-improvement. Become the best version of yourself. And like uh, Bill Burr used to say, women hang out at the uh, finish line and pick the winners. So <laughs> become a winner. That's what it was all about. Okay, so let's let's just talk dates, right? So, um, you know, 2013, it was still light and fluffy. And then 2014, that culture conflict that began with Me Too uh, was on TV, and then Trump was the champion of it. I'm not here to endorse Trump politically. Um, we're just going to discuss him as a culture warrior. And he, he was speaking in an I don't know, 1980s way, 1980s New Yorker way. And um, that galvanized everything. And when um, federal agencies, um, DHS, figured out the connection between uh, <laughs> me being number two of the Donald uh, and the Red Pill space, and um, when they saw the connection between that, that we could provide grassroots organization for them. Um, that's when they start writing papers about us uh, and formulating um, their strategy to split the movement. Um, first with the quarantine and then with the YouTube algorithm and gatekeepers like Peterson. Yeah, yeah, because that, that gatekeepers, because they were giving this soft neutered version of what we had, so it stuck us into Overton hell where the window was just in place. It wasn't moving. We weren't nudging the edges of it. It's just, it's this very safe, completely testicularly absent bullshit, candidly. Post Peterson, you know, we tried to fight Peterson, but the YouTube algorithm pushes Peterson and they come in with Peterson's ideas and the whole subreddit got Peterson. And we fought you, me, Whisper, 
Joe fought against the Petersonists for a healthy two years. And we just for those that don't understand why we're not really fully on board with what he's talking about, it's the concept of building better betas. That's why I'm not a big fan of that. He's yeah, you agree with that or? If, if anyone's on the fence about Peterson, just go on Reddit and just search Reddit. Jordan Peterson is not your friend. And that'll really be the topic. There's a, a succinct post on our position that I agree with. It's not now, my it, writing, but. To be clear, he does have some good advice. But again, it's, it falls into that building better betas. You're not going to become the best for yourself following his advice to a T. That's my, my opinion on that. Yeah, if I you mean. work for the UN, I don't want anything to do with you. That's my line. Also, like, if guys guys should have figured out how to wash their penis and clean their room by themselves. I've, I've always been up on more complicated, complex topics. Okay. Um, but the other, so the other aspect of what starts changing after 2017 is content recyclers. And, you know, Gilo and I talked about this extensively when we we're prepping. You have this universe that's this same neutered YouTube, Instagram, where all they're giving is just they're repeating our aphorisms. There's no theory. There's no explanation. There's no innovation. They're just repeating the shit we wrote a while ago so that they can Look, market I, themselves. I have respect for everyone in this call because we went out and we wrote things that have never been written before. And we wrote things in an interesting way, right? Written and I have a poetic speech and that's why we can write together. Joe has written interesting articles. Um, listen, we have to compete with pornography for pornography, which uh, Tate creates, right? Uh, in order to get information to young men. And the content creators, uh, the female ones, and the uh, diverse ones um, are not writers, they're not creative, and they go through a list of bullet points over and over again. So um, I have no respect for those people, and uh, I don't consider them part of the menosphere. One of the extremely popular pieces of new content that I have no respect for is these guys. You know, I won't name names besides public fresh and fit. But you're welcome to name names. We'll, I'm we'll just because later. I don't want to give them any clout. But um, they, what they do is they bring women on. They basically bring women on to go shit on them. And for some reason, this content is wildly popular. As if, like, really? I have a theory on why that is. Uh, I, I want to hear Gilo's theory and then you go. Okay. So they find these strippers, right? Which are lower class women and they make money with their body because intellectually they have nothing to offer. Um, and they probably don't have any work ethics. So I guess they have to be a stripper and, um, you know, beta males want revenge, you know, listen, you have large breasts and you didn't give them to me and I'm angry and I need fresh and fed to voice my rage at this stripper. On my behalf. <laughs> Did and you say fresh and fed? Said. Fresh oh and God. fed, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, listen, attacking a stripper, like how intelligent is this person? Can this person open a book? What's the difference between attacking a stripper and kicking a dog on the street because you don't feel good? Yeah, they're both it's examples disgusting. of animal cruelty. It's animal cruelty. Full <laughs> period, full stop. Let them let them do their thing. They exist in their own little ecosystem. You know, don't don't kick the wildlife. So you hit on what I was going to talk about. The reason that this kind of content is so popular, in my opinion, is it's tapping into what is really a wider red pill rage. A lot of guys are angry and they see these girls getting taken to task and being yelled at and all that. And for whatever reason, they, they like that. And it's a sad reflection. So of it's, the a sorry state. it's another form. It kind sorry, of is. I, I see what you're saying, but it's just it's a reflection of the state of society. So okay. this stuff wouldn't be popular. There would not be this appetite for it if guys were not in such a bad way that need mentorship, that need guidance, that need positive examples of like old school traditional masculinity that the world actually needs and responds well to. Well, Western society bitches and knows about it, but when the shit is the fan, you need us to do the hard work. What I will say is that there are other societies. So let's pack our luggage and go over there. There are other societies which appreciate us. Me and my men are very well appreciated. So if they want to have their, uh, you know, WEF, globalist, whatever society, and if the betas and the women sign up for that, we can leave and we can be part of another society. And that's so what I'm doing right now. Do you consider yourself a passport bro? Because that's actually, that's a whole thing that's kind of arisen. I don't, you know, um, 
I have Mexican residency and um, I'm looking to build a home base here um, and then um, start real estate investing throughout the Caribbean, Colombia, Brazil. Um, I see these developing economies moving up and I see them as an excellent financial and social opportunity and uh, cost of living is much lower. Inflation is lower. Um, so rather than being angry at a prostitute or a stripper, uh, which is impotent rage, uh, let's pack our bags and let's go where we're appreciated. Cool. Uh, yeah, that I think that? that I think was the most interesting thing to come out of us exiting Reddit. For us, we came, we built the fraternity on the Discord, but what GLO is doing with Assetis is giving men a whole new way to think about what they can do with their lives. And it is very, very anti-Western in, I think, a healthy way because there is a lot, there's a lot of stagnancy and a lot of dictatorial control and slave, well, I'll call it soft slavery. In a lot well, of so, so let's lives. back up to 2019, right? So we had a big disagreement on uh, TRP.red, right? And it split three ways. There's Red Bull School's platform, there is the Discord, and then there's my platform. And um, I guess I was the most vanguardist, the most vanguardist anti-Western position. Um, I'm a Russian. My grandparents were in the Communist Party. My great-grandfather has here of the Soviet Union. So... At that time, I seemed fringe, but after the lockdowns, um, you know, when Mexico wasn't locked down and when people continue, could continue to uh, live their life, go to the gym, meet women, um, what seemed a fringe position moved more into the mainstream, which is why uh, I believe that we can have this conversation and, you know, in, in a, a reasonable demeanor as opposed to the demeanor of 2019. Yeah, but... Like you said before, it's just we saw a fight and we wanted to show up to it. And I, I think the end result was actually pretty great, though. Um, would have loved to been still a part of something that Red Pill School created. But that platform just we we had to go find a new place where we would be treated well. And I would I would say everyone, you know, despite my disagreements with Red Pill School, everyone has so many years they can give. Everyone has so many deployments they can do, you know. Yeah. Um, and at some point he has to move on and be with his family and live a normal life. Uh, you know, he had a vanguardist position for, I think Joe knows maybe 10 years. And, you know, at some point you and I, you and written, uh, me and written are going to age out and I'm going to have to pass it on to, uh, my guys that you saw in the back, my 20 year olds, and they're going to have to, uh, carry the banner. Yeah. And honestly, we natural. We're in perfect agreement on that, and that's why we're starting to get more strategic and, and really block out and come up with real plans for how we want to run the fraternity for that exact reason. You know, that you need new members of that 1%, and I'll get into what I mean, um, pretty much in all communities. 1% or less of people, and this is even more extreme on the internet, but 1% or less of your total population is what the other 99% look up to they're the ones who are creating the content that people are reading that people are watching that people are seeing um Yo, and let me let me speak on that so during our trp.red disagreement um the disagreement came down to what forms the community who is the community right red pill school's position is i control the platform um and i have the majority of the users i'm i'm the community and my position and now the position of Assetis is the content creators are, are the community, which is why we uh, create content creators uh, through writing and reading groups um, and a lot of textual study. So, And for us in the fraternity, the way we run that is we have various ranks, the same way you do in a you know college Greek fraternity, the highest of which is a master who have special privileges who you know we get together in person once a year. Um, and the masters, the masters are the masters because they're the people that everyone is looking for advice from. They're the people who have the qualification to speak on whatever their particular topics are. Um, and the same as you're doing in a status, once you train these people up, it's important that they feel connected to the community and that they're rewarded for their efforts. So, but we're not ready to go public with that just yet. 
So more to come. I There is a Pareto distribution and naturally you're going to find that split uh, in a set of, I don't believe in passive lurkers. Uh, everyone has to read certain text. Everyone has to post physique. Uh, everyone has to contribute content or they're gone. I'm, you know, you're, you know, you're in the phalanx with me. Uh, you're fighting the culture war with me um, or you're gone. I, I don't care. So that, that way um, I'm afraid of a stagnant middle class who like the red pill, right? Who they don't contribute content and they whine and complain. So uh, in my uh, structure, um, everyone has to. Uh, I don't believe in tragedy of the commons. Um, what, what is it? Tragedy of the commons. There's this other one. Um, free rider problem. Uh, no, thanks. Uh, they're gone. And that's why uh, I said it's so uh, aggressive. And I think that's why we're doing so well on TikTok right now. Um, yeah, and on TikTok. I did not know that. Yeah, we have a, a video with 5 million views and a video with 1 million views. And we also do uh, language. There's a set of Germany, Italy, France. Uh, well, speaking US. of while we're on the subject, how yeah. do people find you? How do they find your, uh, your content? Uh, you can go to my post on Reddit, uh, my Jillo post on Reddit. You can go to my Telegram, Assetis, um, or you can type into Assetis on TikTok. And you will see our newest form of content, which uh, hits the Zoomer demographic very, very well. We're fine-tuning for them. That's good to know. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we're not very big on TikTok just yet. Uh, I've got some uh, some editors working on that right now. Thank you, Corey. We're, if you're out there watching this, I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have some uh, some snippets for that as well. Yeah, you know, and something GLO mentioned when we were planning the show is that getting your troops to the front line is so critical. You know, RPS was able to do it with Reddit during that era. Um, once once official censorship became the platform there, that's why we're going and looking for these new platforms. And, you know, I love Telegram because of the end to end. I like our Discord because we've got a filtration mechanism that really keeps the rabble out. And filtration is so key to these spaces because what's given for free has no value. Um, you know, it's it's a balance between filtration on one hand, but being on the front line, front line at the same time, right? So uh, Red Pill did both really, really well. Um, and now we at Asetis have a hybrid mechanism where we're on the front line because of TikTok, and then we have our forum to develop our members. So we only have about 110, 111 uh, dues paying members. So we're tracking closer to that Pareto principle than it might seem on the surface, like a 1% versus a 10%. Yeah, and, and that's because good. we strive to not just be an internet community where we type words with each other, like yeah. making sincere difference in each other's live, a lot of which happens to be bro time in person, is you know a critical element of the fraternity. Perfect. But it is interesting how the normal distribution always appears over and over again. It's a statistical yeah. piece of magic. Just is what it is. But yeah, leveraging that 1% to 10% to go fight fight for what you want and what the goals of your community are is crucial to forming a community. Definitely. And it, it comes down to which managerial mechanisms you're going to use to mobilize your people and how to do that in a way that uh, doesn't bleed you of your creatives. You need structure, but if you have too much, you're going to bleed out your creatives and you're going to become dull and stagnant so yeah then you become a series of checklists and like homework and like who the fuck wants to do that not me yeah um, betas do betas want that and they uh constantly they want spreadsheets. Want that. yeah and uh it's important to keep them in check and force them into uh innovative uh uh content creation but yeah let's let's hit some of our points today what do we got so besides the fact that you feel you're fundamentally treated well you know Yellow. Why? What is your what is your extreme theory about why Latin America is the place to exist right now? Like, what what are we what, are, what is it bringing to you? I think you can live just a higher quality of life here. You can you know have a house on the beach. You can have a maid. You can have a cook. Um, you can tax structure uh, in a very good way, uh, which is a very very big thing. And um, a larger percentage of the 
population is of childbearing age. So you have a much bigger dating pool. Um, obviously, you have a huge financial advantage over the local men. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, you are creating jobs, you are stimulating their middle class economy there. And, you know, your, your money is going to people who, you know, you look at, you can look at them straight in the face and call them a human being, uh, as opposed to, you know, whatever blue hair amalgamation is currently wandering the the urban environment of the United States. So, the golems you know, of the urban environment of the United States. Yeah, I'm doing my best not to use any no-no words, but, you know, you can... We know who you're talking about. Hear, hear my message. Um, and so, you know, then I would rather my money go to a corrupt government than bombs for Ukraine. And uh, I feel a lot better about that. And, um, and then, you know, now that my guys are moving here, I think they there's a higher chance that they're going to, they're going to start families here. Um, they can start a good, safe family. Um, that's, that's not bombarded by, uh, gender theory. Uh, let's phrase it that way. Um, and, um, and that their family isn't coerced into any kind of medical decisions because this government, uh, isn't strong enough to do any of that. So I think for me, that's a major selling point. One of the things I've noticed is that as you particularly have preached this message more and more in public, um, you'll get people in your comment section basically saying, oh, gross, like he's going to the third world, he's sex padding. Like, what do you have to say to those people? Um, Mexico is a lot of different countries together, right? So um, Mexico is the size of Western Europe uh, on one hand. So Western Mexico is different than Eastern Mexico. And on top of that, there's class stratification. So there is a first world Mexico, there is a second world plus Mexico, and there's a third world Mexico. And whatever Mexico you want to be part of, uh, you can drive your car there and uh, have fun. You know, if you want a third world Call of Duty Mexico, that's definitely available here. Yeah, it's weird. It's almost like these people are trying to claim that like Latin, Latinos and Hispanics are inferior with this whole thing. I don't know. I have a problem with that. That feels culturally insensitive. Yeah, it sounds Latinist, which is a term that I'm pushing. And um, it I does think sound Latinist. I like that term. It's, it's, it's Latinist. And, um, you know, Latinos come in different flavors. There's a Mexican, which is to say a white Mexican or a Argentine who is, you know, racially European. There is a Castizo and a Mestizo, which is a mix. And then there is the indigenous tree friend where there's uh, different indigenous peoples here from Aztecs and Zapotecs and Mayans. And they, uh, you know, that's a dating pool that's completely unexplored uh, by uh, the Manosphere for some reason. Um, but it's here and uh, people can fly over and start exploring what it feels like to have an Aztec girlfriend. That's, that's here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no one, no one ever talked about that. So, listen, if We're you want a woman, if you want a woman who appreciates traditional masculinity, you need an Aztec girlfriend. You know, you know, a, a European girlfriend might not like you uh, brutally asserting your status against a lesser male, but an Aztec girlfriend, you know, that's part of her culture, so uh, she'll be supportive throughout that process. Uh, as I as I learned a couple months ago, so. Yeah, I previously lived in, a, in an area that had a lot of first-generation South Americans, uh, and the appreciation for what I was bringing to the table was just so high on average. They, they lived, I, I should say, we, our relationship was just the way I wanted to treat a woman and how she wanted to be treated. And there's no negotiation. There's no, I need more... And I'm going to give, like, I need more for the same price of the used pussy. They, they just don't have okay. those attitudes. Well, let's back up, right? So, you know, in the same way that every object is manufactured somewhere, right? Every idea and discursive strategy is also manufactured somewhere, right? So when you are dealing with a first world woman, her discursive strategies were uh, generated by a women's studies department. That's a knife. And she got that knife from them and now she's going to be stabbing you with it right whereas if you're in a second world country or second world plus country um they're they're less sophisticated in that way and you know maybe she's just going to come at you without 
external aid without uh, uh, air support from the university feminists. So, yeah, it's it's like they they'll still fight you, but it's not through some academic lens of university thinking. It's more just we're just yelling at you in the old fashioned way, which I appreciate. At least you know how they feel. The natural ways. I appreciate it. It's nice. Yeah. Okay. What, what else we got? Um, 2013 TRB okay. has innovation all the way through uh, the Trump election. Where we yeah, that was the area where front. that was yeah. the area where we were all fighting on the same front. Like one of the one of the magic. It was a high. About, yeah. yeah. One of the magical things about TRP is that um, while we were radically different people, the content creators with a, a whole kind of slew of ideologies, our core values in agreement on and if you agree with somebody on core values and you respect them and you share ideas that's a level of communication that is about as high as you can get yeah i think we were on the receiving end of the liberal managerial cast right doctors teachers lawyers for a while and the red pill gave us um, a, a window an opportunity a vehicle to push back culturally at them and they, for a good five years, they didn't know what to do. And they were facing crushing defeat after crushing defeat. And uh, all of us, that's a high. That's a very unique high. And uh, I think that's where, why we're here. We're hooked on that high of, of stomping on our enemies and uh, drinking their tears. So this is what we talked about the other night, that we may have lost Reddit, but we won the culture war, which is the grand irony. If they had just let us do our thing, we never would have broken into YouTube, Instagram, TikTok. Tate would have never become a thing. Fiction Fit would not even exist if we were all still corralled into Reddit. So they kind of did this to themselves. We adapted they and needed, overdone. But they, those departments need to fight to maintain their budget. So they've, you know, they were fighting who they believed to be MRAs. No, I get because that. It's the, the whole control. In the beginning, they were MRAs. Somewhere, right. yeah. S somewhere initially, and then people with better educations and uh, higher levels of literacy came in, uh, like us, and uh, you know we're of the professional caste, and they weren't ready for their own middle class to turn on them. I think that's what happened. So, out of curiosity, is the seduction and MRA subreddits even still alive? I don't even. I haven't been over there in years. I don't know that MRA is there. Seduction is a ghost town, and uh, they banned MGTOW because one of the things we were always able to do really well is we had very dedicated moderation throughout mm. all of our uh, important eras, mm. and we held the line. We we never gave them an excuse to ban us. We yeah, Red Pill really School, he did a good they job. Just, I'm glad you mentioned really, that earlier. Yeah. He did a really, really good job good. defending us against the admins. And he for was, a long time, you know, he rode that line for a decade. You know, how do you escape censorship for a decade? You know, that's talent. They invented uh, the quarantine because of us and the Donald. That exists, yeah. that, that feature exists because of us. It's like, well, that's almost like a... Uh, kind of proud of it. Yeah, it's a badge of honor <laughs> right there. Yeah. Yeah. The reality was that RPS was an absolute fucking genius when it came to uh, understanding how the PMC or the professional managerial class tries to enforce their end of what they want culture to look like. And very, very good at designing a rule base that they cannot then attempt to manipulate. So I have to give him major kudos for that. For those watching this, if you don't know, we actually did an interview with him uh, about two years ago. So it's in the, uh, the interviews playlist. Go check it out. But yeah, yeah, so I think I think one of the fascinating things is they were fighting, they started fighting MRAs and they start, but after a while, um, you know, it's like the difference between Taliban and Al Qaeda. They thought they were fighting Taliban and then they came in with, you know, professional culture warriors. So, so, so yeah, it was an interesting era. It was, it was fun to be outnumbered and outgunned and out and win. And um, I think for me, what's really interesting about that is having fought that culture war, I now, I've, I've now been professionally trained by them and I can pass on that, that training to uh, my guys and we can 
we can push the next round. So, yeah, understanding how to support what's ultimately their corporate speak is a real skill, and it's very helpful because it's it's a subversive ways to fight our guerrilla, as you mentioned, the Al Qaeda thing, and guerrilla is always how we've had to fight this. You can't fight on their turf. No, 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 no. Yeah. They can always carpet bomb your turf with official censorship if you're trying to fight an industrialized war. When you are in the trees taking pot shots and blowing up transformers, which is what we were doing culturally, you can't stop it. Yeah. And it makes them really upset, which is my favorite part. The, the, the upset part was really delicious. Like, it really... I mean, you know, they would write refutations or, you know, you and me would write articles deliberately designed... Uh, to push on their sensibilities and it was really interesting to see that in real time so yeah i wrote this one article called women do not have a sex drive and the whole if you actually read it and you had a brain you'd realize that's not what i'm saying at all but like everything else in you know 100 iq space they only focused on the headline and they're like this guy's a fucking incel he's an idiot clearly this guy doesn't get laid which if you knew me is an old but I wrote that really so it would get reposted on, you know, back when people were still on the blue pill. Like, I, I really wrote it for the blue pill more so than I did the red pill. It was Just clickbait before, it was, before there was clickbait. All, all, it, it was really clickbait because all that does, and GLO did this too, is it just amplified my real message, which then people yeah. would go click on my profile and say, wow, like, what else does this guy have to say? And I that mean, was how we the, grew so much was we would say somebody would say we were controversial or it was like hating women then they go reading like this is just someone telling the truth yeah to, to the, normal sensible people it was just duh i i miss the blue pill like the blue pill and to some degree against hate subreddits you know red pill school made the sub red pill school made the subreddit we did it but 60 percent of the work was the blue pill i would argue in terms of growth that's like, fair I, I, um and I don't know. I miss them. I want them back in my life. I need them to grow our communities. Come back, you know? Yeah. If we didn't have these people winding up and, and throwing us all this attention, we never would have grown as fast as we did. That's just the way it is. Yeah, so. yeah actually. So GLO, six years ago, you wrote a post called, you wrote a post called why they haven't banned us. And I, I think it was an interesting point, which you were making, which is Reddit is a place to hide from reality. The red pill breaks that loop. And the red pill makes fantasy unfulfilling by ruthlessly creating negative associations between fantasy and loserdom. And I think you also do this really well on Aesthetics, more so for anti-intellectualism. <laughs> but, you know, we were anti-video game, anti-getting anti tricked by sluts, you know, take the virtual reality headset off your fat fucking face and go to the gym. I mean... They they didn't ban us because we were the war in Ukraine, effectively, back in that time. So they needed us to virtue signal against. We were their um, Chinese virus, right? So um, that's why they didn't ban us. Um, but, you know, with regards to anti-intellectualism, anti there are a lot of, let's say, dissident communities which do not generate uh, literacy within their uh, members and they don't have enough uh, content creation to drive things forward um, and then they stagnate. So um, I have friends in more controversial communities and they would uh, circle certain topics over and over again and they, they would go into a death spiral. And so I would say that if you have a community um, you know, masculinity can be incestuous where people talk about the same ideas over and over again. So you need that fresh blood. You need that flow to sustain itself. Uh, and as a leader of Asetis, I make sure that my people read, write, generate new content. So we're always moving forward. And if you compare us to where we were in 2019, when we were making Red Bull schools life very difficult to where we are now, um, intellectually we've really blossomed because of that policy yeah i think you're right on with that um also on the controversial side of things i think it's going back to the idea of pornography 
a huge part of our audience were angry betas and women, actually. And that was what made our message amplify so hard. And I think what's kind of fascinating is that is essentially like going and reading these things that they really hated became addicting to them because it was their almost emotional pornography. Like, look at these assholes. But amusingly, all that did was ever amplify our message. Well, let's give them credit, right? So look at the kind of jobs that they work, right? They live a very censored existence, right? Um, and so they need a thrill. And so they can do that through, through drugs, through some kind of degenerative sex acts or moral indignation, right? And we gave them that fuel and, and you and me and Joe, we, we knew, we knew that we were giving them a drug. And if you look at the phrasing, you know, I don't want to repeat this phrasing on your podcast so it can be up, but we have some very interesting poetic phrasing that if you look at it, you would say, okay, well, this was deliberately manufactured to get a rise out of people, get a rise out of this specific demographic. This content doesn't exist as such. It exists unto that purpose. And uh, the fact that they never caught on to that, even when we rubbed that in their faces, uh, I don't know, humorous, interesting. Yeah, you once described, and I forget which post it was, but you once said the red pill is Reddit's abusive boyfriend. You know, it it tells everyone how toxic we are, that she can do so much better and threatens to break up with us. But at the end of the day, they can't leave us. They're they're a basic bitch, you know, who lives for the abuse because it's what makes their life exciting. I mean, if it's interesting to read them, figure out where their pressure points are and push those pressure points. Um, I wrote an article how to slide your white meat into Asian girls. There was an NYU feminist performance about it. And uh, the, I guess, Singaporean lady who comprised this performance uh, had white theater betas read my texts and writhe in uh, discomfort. And unfortunately, there's no recording of that because uh, it would have been euphoric for all of us to watch. So there you go. Technical difficulties. This is why we don't do it live. Yeah. You, can you hear us? Yeah, I'm back. Now I can. Okay. Can you hear me? We're good. We got you. Yes, we're good now. Right. Just okay, had to reset. Yeah. Anyway, um, so GLO, if I'm remembering correctly, I think the the GLO character has been quoted twice in legitimate high level academic publications. Academic literature. There's this man uh, from Canada, uh, Aaron Dishy. So uh, look, look him up, and he has to uh, rectify the you know my humorous character. He he needs to. Um, he's trying to paint me as the big F word, that that rhymes with smashist. But at the <laughs> same time, there's a lot of humor, and there's a lot of self-deprecating humor. There's a lot of stuff going on that doesn't line up with the role he wants to give me. And so in his master's dissertation, he has to writhe and put a square peg in a round hole. And that's, that's an interesting read. Um, and then there's later, uh, it's a PhD thesis, like Communicative Strategies of the Red Pill. Um, I'm also quoted, but that one's more dry. Um, it's far less interesting. What do you think but, about the observation that those that are so anti-reality that we profess, the ones that are really, really hateful and just they don't get it or they're butthurt by it. They almost always seem to be these purple or blue haired feminists, very, very weak men, uh, very, very obese women. But then you flip it around, you interview women and, and, and folks, they'll do these straight interviews. The ones that agree with us, they're almost always attractive. Why is that? Well, let's let's back. Let's back up. Right. Let, let's let's give our opposition, you know, some depending on how you make your money, you're under a different incentive structure. You get your dopamine differently, right? Hmm. So Joe, you were in the military, you're an adventurer, right? Uh, written was involved in financial speculation. He's an adventurer. Uh, I took a bunch of men with me to a foreign country and have made a career as a distant writer. We're adventurers, right? And so, we make our money in a certain way. We gain our status in a certain way by fighting for it, um, by taking great risks. They are the professional managerial cast and they uh, make money um, and uh, through intrigue, 
throughout virtue signaling each other by being chosen on top, you know, from Soros, NGOs, whatever, whatever. So they have a different reality. I don't want to discount their reality. They're under a different incentive structure. So it's the difference between uh, someone who does agriculture um, and someone who's a, a pastoral nomad. They follow different seasonal cycles. So let's just, That's you know, an interesting the Red Bull does social theory. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's be kind to them kind of in an in a academic way and, and let's do that. And, and, and that kind of analysis is what I foster in the status. Say, listen, we're social theorists and let's, instead of just pointing at the other side saying bad, let's actually try and understand them in, in a reasonable-ish way. So you got me there. I was trying to like just winding them up a little bit because it is fun, but there is some uh, research that was done a few years ago and that's what reminded me of this. And they found that conservatives tend to be more attractive than like these far left liberals. I, I would say is everyone here is an adventurer. Everyone here has taken very big risk. And when you take that big risk, you might have to call for help. And, and um, there's times when I pick up the phone and I need help and I need those relationships um, to, to be my safety net, right? Um, whereas if you're constantly being drip fed a salary, um, you can do whatever and, uh, you don't have that, I guess, motivation to, to create an, an organic structure that you could later rely on. Yeah. Right? And so, if you think about it, because this is just the reality of humanity, most people are followers, not leaders. Our society wouldn't work if everyone was trying to lead and speaking about incentive structures. These people work for large bureaucratic organizations that incentivize risk-averse behavior and reward it. No, you're not wrong. Right. I'm just trying to find out so, where the correlation is with that and physical attractiveness. Well, if you're taking risks, you're going to be pulling in more resources and you can use those resources to maintain your health and well-being, which everyone here does they are involved in a system that sucks their sustenance out of them. They live in very high stress environments and they're like a parrot that pulls their feathers out. Hmm. Um, and, you know, we can discuss their sexual behaviors, but I don't want to. So um, the parrot with the feathers is a good, to some uh, degree you have to feel bad. That's a good yeah. analogy. So they've, they, their worldview is a very negative one. You know, I'm telling people, come to Latin America, enjoy the food, enjoy the sun, meet the women, start a family. That's a positive generative message. Whereas they're pushing a globalist, reduce uh, expenditure, turn off your gas stove and freeze in Germany in your austere apartment, right? They're, they're, they're shrinking in. And you are the carbon they want to re reduce. Right, right. They're a bonsai plant. They're a bonsai plant. And so we, with regards to political correctness, they're constantly policing themselves and it's smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's why they're so grotesque is because they've put themselves under tremendous stress. And I would say, listen, if you're on that side of things, you know, get some fresh air and stop choking yourself. It's for your own benefit. Check out our set us on TikTok. Uh, we're moving forward. We're pushing new ideas. Um, I think a lot of the manosphere is stagnant uh, and through the high degree of literacy that me and my men have been able to cultivate. We have the ideas to get back on the front lines, fight again, uh, push again. Um, there's, there's a lot of fights coming up and uh, you need to be physically, mentally and uh, prepared in terms of literacy. So um, you also need you like to be financially prepared for this fight. You need to be financially prepared for this or socially prepared or, or better yet, you know, both. And uh, if you like my message and, uh, you picked up on some of the innuendos i'd say uh, uh sign up for a set of coaching um you can find us through our set of tiktok or uh, write us an essay and see if you have what it takes to uh participate in our reading groups which are very very intense but very fruitful that's you know it's it's an adventure you know i'm here you know you guys are adventurers and i'm looking for more adventures and that's why we're here well you're always welcome at the fraternity if you want to pop in and uh perfect and please come to Mexico. And I was going to uh, say, I am going to get to Mexico this year. And you're, uh, you'll see some things, and it'll be. Uh,
Uh oh, it's the Burger King, Burger King Wi-Fi got him. Strikes again. He'll be back. Without giving away uh, too much, what do you think is going to be one of those fights that we need to be aware of, to be ready for? There, there is geofencing and climate lockdowns. There's another lockdown coming somewhere 20, 2024, uh, 2025. And in the same way that there was a fight during the uh, pandemic uh, about, you know, lockdowns and uh, medical freedom, we're in for one of those fights. Okay. I, I would tell you that the masses are generally unengaged and they become engaged during a January 6th during a lockdown, during a Me Too movement. And if you can position your organization at the right place at the right time, you can skim the top of those people who've been, I guess, radicalized out of the mainstream narrative. So every time that there's a wave of globalist push, that's the time to skim the masses up. Right now, not much has happened. Oh, okay. I would just, uh, let, let me, let me try and hit those points again. Um, what I would tell you is that the best time to pull someone into a dissident community is during a big globalist push or big leftist push. So we came in during the me too era. Um, and a lot of people came in during the pandemic era and during the 2014, 2024 climate lockdown era, that's the time to position your community against those uh, globalist initiatives so that when the masses are discontent, mm -hmm. that's when you can skim them off and pull them into uh, our respective organizations. Yeah, and then also make sure you're using the correct platforms. TikTok is a much harder platform uh, with a much smaller margin of error. So make sure you have a good editing team in place to uh, capitalize on that technological innovation. I appreciate it, thank you. Cool, cool. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for everything. Looking forward to the final cut. And uh, I'm looking forward to you guys meeting meeting my dudes because they're really, really talented. Always and appreciate they, getting uh, you on to talk about this stuff. We will see each other in person again soon. And amazing. Hey, Frosty, because we're okay. doing, uh, doing God's work out here. Thank you. Mm -hmm. okay. keep, keep fighting, and thank you for having me on.